Well, I have good news. Y'all are pretty excited about that, right? (laughs) Now, if if I'd said Texas Tech, I'm sorry. Um, The lights are like, um, maybe it's my age, you know, I'll just start wearing. Um, Lauren has those Texas Ranger visors. She really doesn't, but, you know, anyway. So Chiv preached last Sunday. Amazing, right? And I am so grateful to be able to be on staff with him. And Chiv is uh, the other associate pastor who, who helps us with many, many things. And then he also has a church, the Cambodia United Methodist Church. Yes. Um, and then he goes to Cambodia. So the problem with Chiv is he just doesn't do enough, you know? I mean, oh my goodness, we're going to have to talk to him about it. And most of you probably don't know that, you know, the people in Cambodia, he just doesn't leave them to, to just do their stuff. He is discipling them on the phone while you and I are asleep because it's daytime in Cambodia. Chiv's on the phone discipling and encouraging and doing pastoral care and all of that. One thing I would say about Chiv is that he is persistent. Fair word? Yes. Come on, y'all. The most, <laughs> there are other words, but the most persistent person I know. And uh, so the good news is, Chiv um, has been for about three or four years working and talking to Ricky Lack's parents, right? Ricky's here, right? I saw him earlier. <laughs> yes. Um, and Chiv at the time, uh, when Nikki went to be the, with the Lord, was really working with them. And then when Ricky got sick with the liver thing, you know, Chiv was there. And they've been attending Chiv's church for the last few weeks. Are y'all ready? So they accepted Jesus. So this is a profession of faith. They were Buddhist, Yes. And Shiv said he just kept talking, and he just kept listening, and he just kept talking. And he figured that Ricky's dad was kind of like, I hate this guy, but he loves me, you know? (laughs) And Shiv just kept on, which is a word for all of us. So they will be making their profession of faith today at Shiv's church about 1240. They will be baptized. And Ricky texted me, we were texting last night, and he said, Nikki and I prayed for this for years. And so the fruit... The fruit of of those prayers is huge. And so we thank the Lord. And if you want to go over at 1240 and crash the party, you know, I think that's probably okay. But Shiv, um, well done. And and we've had other people stand here this spring and and do a profession of faith. Uh, Nathalie did that. Nathalie's here, yes, with her daughter. And Rourke did the same thing. Right, I saw Rourke. Yes. You know, a profession of faith as an adult, that's a big deal. That's a big deal. That's not like being baptized as a baby or, you know, confirmation. It's a big deal for adult profession. So that's all huge. We're going to be talking today about the story of blind Bartimaeus. And that's what you see in your scripture. That's what, blind Bartimaeus, that was his name. I mean, that was his identity. 
And when my kids were little, this will probably be only one kid story. Uh, when my kids were little, we had a storybook. It wasn't the cool one out now, the Jesus storybook or something, Jesus Bible storybook that's like excellent. This one was good. But in the story of Bartimaeus, I would get them to kind of act it out or holler or whatever because it kept them interested. And sometimes I would change it up just to see if they were listening. Not that that was, that was usually not a problem with one of my kids, but it was a problem with the other. Anyway, I won't name names. But anyway... So in the story, when it would say, you know, he shouted, I would have them shout. Now, there's nothing like a good primal scream to make you feel better, right? That's why we go to sporting events. Can we be honest? You know, so especially when your team might not be winning, that's a problem, right? My kids would kind of act out the story or they would do, you know, when he jumped up, you know, they would jump up. That was never a problem for Robert because he jumped in the womb and he has not stopped jumping since. Uh, He's not here, so it's easier to say that. Uh, I encourage parents to do that with Bible stories. I would change names. You know, say, okay, today we're going to hear the story of David and Betty Sue. And they would just scream, it's Goliath. You know, and it's like, oh, I'm so sorry. You know, and then they would tell the story. So it's a way to kind of trick them. All the kids are listening, right? Let's go through the story line by line. Really kind of some powerful stuff here. So the story, this story is part of the journey to Jerusalem. And it is part of the people that Jesus ministered to at this time. And if you look through the scriptures, he spent time with widows and he spent time with tax collectors and he spent time with lepers. He healed those that were blind. So it it was an amazing kind of group that he had and uh, the people that he ministered to that's recorded in scriptures. So kind of significant in this story about blind Bartimaeus. So let's look at the first verse. Let's go verse by verse. They came to Jericho. Now Jericho, it wasn't the Old Testament Jericho that was like dust, right? But it was the New Testament Jericho that Herod had... Uh, Herod the Great had rebuilt. I think he named himself Herod the Great. I'm not for sure, but he didn't have a problem with his ego. So they came to Jericho, and as they were leaving the city, and it was a very prosperous city. I don't think they had North Park, but, you know, cool stuff in the city. It says a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, and Timaeus means honor, was sitting by the roadside begging. If you've ever been to a third world country, you can picture this. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now here's this beggar, this blind guy, and he is saying, when he said son of David, he's saying, I think you're the Messiah. And Martha said that, and Peter said that. But here's this blind beggar sitting by the road saying, I believe you're the Messiah. And the Messiah had to do a lot of things. And one of the things was to heal the blind. That was one of the requirements for the Messiah. Messiah means the anointed one. The anointed one. And so there was a great crowd. I don't know if you've gone to a ball game recently or, you know, football, baseball, basketball, whatever. But when you're with that many people, you can imagine the crowd. So it was the disciples and then a great crowd following. And here's this guy that starts yelling. 
And they don't particularly like that. And so it says, many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. In scripture, looking at the different translations, be quiet in one place says, literally means shut up. So they were not very kind, and he didn't care. And so he was screaming over the crowd. Now, crowds can be um, loud, right? If you've ever been in a room with school teachers during um, an in-service training, they don't shut up. It doesn't matter who says, one, two, three, look at me. You know, I've been with teachers, I promise. It's harder to get them to be quiet than just about any kid on campus when they're talking. He said, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. The Bible says, so they called to the blind man. Cheer up on your feet. He's calling you. And throwing his cloak aside... What do you think the cloak was like? You think it had been to the cleaners last week? Probably not. He jumped to his feet. This is the part Robert liked. And he came to Jesus. And so Jesus is looking at him. And he says, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man. Scripture says, the blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. And Jesus says, go, your faith has healed you. Now think with me that if you're standing in front of Jesus and he has healed you, we don't know if he touched him or if he just spoke, God is creative and there's different ways that he heals. And if you study the different healings in scripture, you know, sometimes he touched them, sometimes he just spoke. So you're standing in front of Jesus And so the first thing you see is him. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Jesus says, go, your faith has healed you. It says immediately he received his sight. But he didn't go. He followed Jesus. Jesus said, go. One translation says, go on your way. He didn't do that. He followed Jesus. And isn't it kind of true that we're all kind of blind until we see Jesus? You know? In, in the scripture, the blind man was his identity. It was his that I mean, scripture like three times. The title in your Bible should say, Blind Bartimaeus receives his sight. And Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? And he said, Lord, I want to see. It's another passage of scripture in John 12. John 12 is right after John 11. I went to DISD schools. Uh, So 12 follows 11. Some of you get that more than others. Anyway, uh, I had a good education. I'm, you know... But 12 follows 11, 11 was Lazarus being healed. And it's Martha's amazing declaration of you are the Messiah. And Jesus told her, I'm the resurrection and the life. 
saying to the sister of a dead man, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he dies, yet he will still live. And Martha made this amazing declaration to him. You are the Messiah, the Son of God. And so there's all of that. And Jesus heals Lazarus. He says he spoke it by name. Lazarus, come out. I love the scripture um, in the King James. I actually looked it up when I taught Bible class. I'm sure they picked up on my snarkiness. But, you know, in the King James, it says Martha is saying, he stinketh. He's been, he's been in the tomb four days. He stinketh, you know. And Jesus was just like, Lazarus, come forth. And he did. So then there's this dinner in chapter 12. And Mary is uh, with Jesus. Martha is serving. They're fixing this meal. And Lazarus was one of the guests of honors because, oh, he had been raised from the dead. No small stir, right? And so they were having this dinner. And Mary takes a pint. And the, the measurements aren't exactly like our measurements, but she takes a pint of purest, uh, well, it's, it says nard, but it's like, um, it's a certain spice. Spi- a spike? Yes. What Sue said. And so, and it was very, very expensive. And she poured it on his feet, a pint of oil, and then she wipes it with her hair. And the disciples didn't like it because it was kind of like, whoa, what are you doing? And Judas, who was the treasurer, said she could, this was worth a year's wages. Now, I don't know what your salary is. But to anybody, a year's wages is a lot of money. And she poured it on his feet, and she wiped it with her hair. And Jesus said, leave her alone. She has done this to prepare me for my burial. Can you imagine the courage it took for Mary to do that? In a room with all these guys, Lazarus, all these you know, disciples. And she pours the oil on his feet. And ministers to Jesus. And then he comes to Jerusalem as the king the next day. So as all that is happening, the Pharisees are not happy. And when they see that people were wanting to see Jesus, but they were also wanting to see Lazarus because it was kind of cool to see somebody that had been raised from the dead, you know, the, the Pharisees got together and said, well, we'll fix his wagon. We'll just kill Lazarus. Now, do you get the irony of that? Just raised him from the dead. But we'll fix this because we'll just kill him. So it's kind of like, yeah, y'all are like sad. So it's Palm Sunday. Jesus comes into Jerusalem as a king. And they are all rejoicing because they are still thinking earthly king. And Jesus keeps saying and saying and saying, I'm going to the cross. I'm going to die. After three days, I will be raised from the dead. But all the disciples, they were all like, man, you're going to be in charge and run the Romans out and all of that. Following that, Jesus predicts his death. Let me read to you from John 12, verses 20 through 33. Now, there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. And these would be non-Jews. This was for Passover. These would be God-fearers, but they didn't know Jesus. And they came to Philip, that's a Greek name, who was born from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request, Sir, 
we would like to see Jesus. Oh, for the people that say to you and say to me, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew, and Andrew and Philip in turn told Jesus. And Jesus replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, my servant will be also. The Father will honor the one who serves me. Jesus says, now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that was there and heard it said it had thundered. Others said it was an angel had spoken to him. Jesus said, this voice was for your benefit, not mine. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. And I, when I'm lifted up from the earth, will draw all people, all men and women to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. The Greeks who wanted to see him were a part of that crowd that he said, I will draw all people to myself. That is for you and for me. They said, sir, we want to see Jesus. So I want you to think with me about that. I want you to think with me about what it would be like to see him. Sometimes when I do healing prayer with people, I ask them to picture themselves in a Bible story. Hopefully not Jesus, you know, John the Baptist being beheaded or something. But, you know, could you, could you see yourself like Jesus blessing the children? Because we know that happened. That's in Scripture. We know it happened. Can you see yourself in that scene? Can you imagine what it's like to be in his presence? Can you see the love he has for you in his eyes? Can you see it? Can you feel it? My father's family (laughs) was sort of um, interesting. Sweet people, and they loved us. But they all had... um, Anyway, um, (laughs) so my... He had... There were eight children, and uh, his sister, my aunt, her name was Johnny Mildred... And probably, anyway, I won't go there. But uh, she was very nice, and she was very smart, and she was very kind to us. And we mowed her lawn, and she'd pay us. And she was just very generous. But she had a temper. I mean, it didn't take a nanosecond. If she got mad about something, she was hot. She's the one that had the dog named Angel because he was such a devil. I think there's a picture of Johnny. And they grew up, notice the sig in her hand, please. That's important. So and that's Angel the Little Devil. And my brothers love to torment him. I'm sure they bore through forgiveness at some point. But anyway, or ask for forgiveness. So Johnny, um, they were raised very strict Baptist. And Johnny <laughs> would pick on people. And there was a boy she didn't like at school when she was like 12 years old. And so... She told me these stories when I would drive her to the doctor because she would just, oh, what's the word, lie to them about, 
you know, her medical condition, which is always helpful, right? You know, when you're 80-something and really sick. And so I'd hear these stories. And, and so Johnny uh, said in fighting this little boy, she knew her strategy was he wore overalls. That if she unhooked the overalls, he had to use one hand to keep his pants up. And so, I mean, oh my gosh, I'm just sitting there horrified going, you were in fights? Anyway, and evidently she won. So... And then they became Episcopalian, and she was in the guild thing or whatever it is. Um, And I really think she knew the Lord. But man, her temper. I can't tell you how many people I had to apologize to for my Aunt Johnny. So she had problems with her carotid arteries. She actually had an aneurysm. They always told us it was large. They will never tell you. You know, you ask how big, and they'll say, well, it's just large. Well, we eventually found out it began at the top of her aorta, and the aneurysm went the length to her stomach. That's a big aneurysm, right? And it's good that she didn't have a temper and that she was calm-spirited, right? Um, so we're having a sonogram on the carotids. Kids were little. My mom was watching the kids, and they were doing the carotids. And the screen is just like red, blue. I mean, all this stuff showing up. And the lady goes, did you smoke? Did you smoke? And she said, no. And I'm sitting in the room, and I said, here we have evidence. And, and I was sitting in the room, and I said, excuse me? And she said, well, I'm like Bill Clinton. I never inhaled. <laughs> the lady just fell over. You know she's heard every story. And she said, I have never heard that one. <laughs> and to the youth in the room, there was this famous quote about Bill Clinton, and he never inhaled. Anyway, um, so Johnny got really sick. And the aneurysm became weakened. And on Good Friday, it got really bad one year. And so we all, she was in the ER, and we went and we stood around her bed. And, uh, and she was still very lucid, and she looked at all of us. My brother Tom was there, and, and she said, I've asked Jesus to forgive me for every mean thing I've ever done. And that was a good thing <laughs> because, you know. And so it was Easter Monday that she went to be with the Lord. And she, and Robert was little at that time. And Robert, who was always a man on the move, she could hold him for like an hour and he would not move. And I'd be like, did you give him Benadryl? Because he doesn't do that for me. You know, he's a wild man with me. And he would sit on her lap and just be still. And she loved it. So as she was dying, her color had changed. She was very gray. Her eyes were cloudy. And I was not there when she went to be with the Lord, but my sister was. My sister who struggled with Jesus and Christianity and everything, right? And her sister. And they said something on the bed stirred. And she sort of sat up, sat up a little bit. The color had returned to her cheeks. Her eyes were clear and bright. And she looked at the corner of the room. And then she was gone. And for my sister to see that was huge, was huge. And I believe Johnny saw Jesus. When my mom was sick in the the last few days of her life, uh, she was always very attentive to us and very, you know, my brothers and I took turns and and we would be there to see the doctor and all of that. And of course, my brothers, uh, Scott, (laughs) you know, they would, my mother would be asleep on the bed and Scott would go, what's that mother? 
you want to see the hockey game? Well, anything for you, you know? And he'd turn it on. And it was just like, you know, she'd open one eye and look at him. Um, so we were with her one, one afternoon, and the prognosis was not good, and she was getting very close to heaven. And Scott, uh, the one who's not the preacher, she kept looking in the room, and Scott said, Mother, are you seeing Jesus? And she said, he's right there. And while she was very attentive to us and, you know, all of that, man, she was looking at Jesus. And I would have too. And the next day, her doctor, who was a believer, stood with me beside her bed, and tears were running down his face. And he said, oh, to see Jesus. To see Jesus. We all know about the Great Awakening. We all know about John Wesley and George Whitfield and all of those guys. We know about how it changed the history for America and England. And George Whitfield was a very, uh, people loved to hear him preach. I've read in one journal that uh, Ben Franklin liked to hear him say Mesopotamia. I don't, I don't know if it was the English accent, but George Whitfield came to the Americas and Wesley stood in England. And it, in confirmation class, we learned that they feel like he traveled over 200,000 miles by horse. Now, I don't know the last time you traveled 200,000 miles by horse. That sounds real comfortable, doesn't it? Whitfield was an excellent speaker, and people loved to hear him speak, but he gave such energy as he spoke that they say that he had to rest afterwards. After he preached, you know, then he had to rest. Wesley was very um, methodical, maybe is the word, you know, Methodist. And he had started all these small groups, bands or societies. He had started all these small groups of people meeting together weekly and saying, how are you doing? How is it with your soul? How does your soul prosper? Not as in dinero, but as in are you closer to Jesus this week than last week? Wesley, after he preached, and everybody kind of said he wasn't the best preacher, he was very... But he preached, he'd get on his horse, he would ride to the next town, and he would preach again. And then he would get on his horse, go to the place where he was going to be speaking next. Whitfield is quoted as saying that he had so many, he spoke to so many people, but he didn't have any type of system for them. And Wesley did. In fact, the quote that that Whitfield gives is, I spoke to all these people, but it was like ropes of sand. And Wesley, because of the bands and the societies, had places for people to gather and grow, to press on in their faith. My opinion is, the most important decision you will ever make is to accept Jesus as your Savior. It is not what school you go to, although I get that's a big thing. It's not what kind of job do you have or how much you have in your IRA. But have you accepted Jesus as your Savior? 
as a church, we have been in a season of prayer with the book Moving Mountains and being really involved in that. And I guess one of the most important things I learned from that book was asking God, how do I pray? So you have people all around you that need to see Jesus, right? You have people all around you. For the youth, guys, y'all go to school. And can I just say publicly, we don't have a clue what y'all go through. We don't have a clue of what you hear every day. I mean, I worked in a Christian school, um, and words still happen, (laughs) just saying. You just pay more money to hear it. But we have no clue the pressure that you guys are under or the things you have to deal with. The most important decision for your life is not what cool school do you get into, but have you accepted Jesus as your Savior? And will you walk with him? So I encourage you, have you seen Jesus? And would you say to him, Lord, I want to see. I want to see more of you. Lord, thank you for your provision for me. God, thank you for your healing. Thank you for redemption. Thank you for the cross. God, thank you for healing my family. Thank you for healing my friends at school. Because out of all the things we can do for people, the most important thing anyone could do is help people understand and want to see Jesus. So I don't know where you guys are. I mean, you're in church. But what life is going, what is happening for you right now, and probably even maybe good friends don't know everything that's going on in your life. But I just encourage you. You know, the blind beggar had an identity crisis because he was no longer the blind beggar, right? Because he looked into the face of Jesus. And whether it's inviting him into our chaos or inviting him into problems at school or family members that seem to just not even care, the day will come they will look in his face. So I'd like for you to think about that and pray about that. We're going to... sing a song before I give the invitation, but I would like for you to think about, to look into his face and the peace and the love that he gives all of us.
So, God, we pray in this time you would move among us. And, God, some of us may be like blind Bartimaeus, crying out for your touch. Some of us may be like the Greeks saying, Sir, we would see Jesus. We wish to see Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that we are your children. And even as you bless the children in the New Testament by the Sea of Galilee, so you still are with us today. So, Lord, for each one here, you know the place that needs your touch. You know, God, whether there's there's need for provision or there is need for confidence or there is need for healing. Lord, you know. So we commit this time to you, Father. Move among your children. Lord, have your way here. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. As as we have all been a part of the moving mountains thing, mountains have been moving, and God doesn't strain to do it. And we keep praying. We keep praying for this church. We keep praying for the Big Methodist Church. We keep praying for who will be the senior pastor. We keep praying. It's the most important thing we do. The most important thing we do. If you would like to make a decision for Jesus today, if you would like to accept him as your Savior, we would love to pray with you. This man knows how to do it, <laughs> and I do too. We would love to pray with you. If you would like to join the church, uh, that would be great. If you would like to just come and pray, if you would like to see Jesus and just take a minute to look into his face, this is that time. Please stand as we sing.